Okay, Brentwood Church, today we get to the plan part five. But first, I want to let you in on something that I'm very excited about. In two Sundays, which is June the 15th, I get to share a preview of where I believe God is leading our church in the near future. And uh, we're going to lay all of this out in greater detail in our September vision series. But on June 15th, that's two weeks from now, um, I get to let you in on some hints, some very exciting hints, hints like, how will Brentwood have a greater impact in our community? Like, what's next for us as far as the impact that we see being in this city? Like, what's it, what, what, are we, what impact or mark are we going to make? Uh, so, so we'll get to some of that. Another thing is, uh, what's next for Brentwood? Um, one church in two locations. Like, what's next after one church in two locations? You know, we've been a, a two-site church for over three now, three three years now, like what, what's the next part of that? What does that look like uh, in the near future? And what is Brentwood's responsibility for the emerging generation of church leaders? We're going to talk about how we see ourselves poised at this this mark in our history to really become an environment or a classroom uh, for emerging pastors and emerging church leaders, uh, where we're going to partner with uh, a Local university, some of you might know it. But anyway, I'm getting ahead of myself. You need to be here in two weeks. Um, I could keep going and I could keep giving you hints, but, but it's going to be exciting. So also, I'm very excited about um, the fact that my wife, Tammy, will also be teaching that Sunday. Uh, this will be her first time in 15 years teaching all by herself on the main stage. She's uh, done interviews with me before. Um, she's taught in some smaller environments uh, but she's going to be live at the Forest Campus uh, giving the vision preview. And I will simultaneously, I, I will be at the, the ETR campus giving the, the vision preview. Uh, and so I'm very excited about her uh, casting that vision as one of the original founding members of this church. Um, it's going to be a lot of fun. So you want to be there. All right, let's get to it. Uh, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to get to part five of the plan. As we know, God not only has a plan uh, for all of humankind, uh, but he also has a very specific plan for you and me. And we're starting to get into the specifics of that in part five. Um, A few years ago, I was on a very restrictive diet so that I could recover from an illness. Uh, And then after a, a certain period of time, I decided it was time to return to normal, some some other basic food groups like Krispy Kreme donuts. It was time to get back to that. You guys know what I'm talking about. So my breakout party was going to be on an out-of-town trip to Atlanta with friends and leaders from our church. Uh, I was just going to go, okay, this is where we're, we're pulling back. Um, or we're, we're pulling off the restraints. Uh, we're, going, we're going for this. And so the first night uh, in the ATL, we attended an event that had this carnival theme. And so with that, they had free funnel cakes. You guys, you feeling me? I mean, all you could eat funnel cakes. And so as you guess, I flipped out like a Jack Russell Terrier at a rabbit farm. You know, it's like, give me some funnel cake. I want some funnel cake. So I kid you not, I ate three plate-sized funnel cakes in less than five minutes. I mean, a human being shouldn't have three in a year. But I had three in like five minutes. I had the one with the powdered sugar. I had the one with the chocolate syrup. I had the one 
with the strawberry goo. I mean, I just kept coming back. And that's not all. Like an hour and a half later, you know, remember, I've, I've pulled off all the restrictions. I, I'm, this is my breakout party. About an hour and a half later, I went to Chick-fil-A because I hadn't had a Chick-fil-A combo in a long time. And I was just like, let's, let's go get a Chick-fil-A combo. This is, um, this, is, this is my breakout party. And so I ate a Chick-fil-A combo. I killed it like in five seconds or less. It was, it was amazing. Well, needless to say, my stomach was very angry and vindictive. And so I soon became a funnel cake breathing dragon over the porcelain village, uh, if you know what I mean. All right. So, yeah, don't 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 hang out there too long. It just it, it got ugly. Let's just say that. But here's the lesson. God gives us appetites. He does like from the very beginning. I mean, this is goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. He's given us appetites. But if we overindulge them we will cause pain and destruction, not only for our life, but even other people's. And unfortunately, we've all learned this lesson the hard way. Uh, As I said, it's as old as the Garden of Eden. You know, eat all of this, but don't eat that or you'll die. Genesis chapter 2. It's it's that old. And, And we hear that and we've even experienced that firsthand. And yet, we self indulge and often overindulge in one or more of our human appetites, and it causes consequences in our life. Sometimes permanent consequences, and even sometimes fatal consequences. So that brings me to the bottom line. Today, I'm just going to go ahead and give you the bottom line up front, and then we're just going to walk through the first few verses of Ephesians 5, and it'll start making sense. Here it is, bottom line. God's plan is to transform our appetites, the ones he's given us, from self-indulgence to self-giving. Let me repeat that. God's plan is to transform our appetites from self-indulgence, because that's what we want to do. We want to self-indulge. We want to overindulge. We want to get more and more. Self-indulgence to self-giving. In other words, giving of ourselves. So here's what that means ultimately. God has clearly given us natural appetites to sustain and fulfill our lives. Like our food appetite. I've already, I've already, we get hungry for a reason. And yet, these appetites, they were meant to help us help other people. And not to just overindulge until we damage or destroy ourselves. And oftentimes other people. So, that brings us to Ephesians 5. Ephesians 5 talks about so many things. Uh, we're going to look at, at this that this first section where the Apostle Paul is, is talking about the very powerful human appetites and how they affect our human relationships and ultimately how they determine if we live in God's plan or not. So the plan, the plan that God has for all humanity, as we said in, in Ephesians 1, 2, and 3, involves the, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, Christ and salvation and, and, and all those amazing things. And then as we get to chapter 5, it's like, okay, how does that work out? How does that plan work out just in our relationships? How does it work out in just the simple details of our lives? So this gets even more personal and practical as we go. So let's jump in. Verse 1, Ephesians 5. Follow God's example, Paul says. So he says, look, it's possible for you to know 
how God operates and thus how he designed you and me to operate in his plan. Remember, we are image bearers of God. That means that he created us most like himself. So next, he says, therefore, as dearly loved children, we are children of our heavenly father. And his plan is then to grow us up to think, feel, and act like him, just like we do our own children. We grow them up to think, feel, and act like us. How does that happen? And walk in the way of love. Walk in the way of love. Okay, this is big. God's plan is that we walk in the way of love. Jesus would call it the kingdom of God. Or, or another way to say it is the closeness to God. Like you can be close to God. You can live in his kingdom. You can live in his reality and presence here and now. So it, it, Paul's just saying that you walk in the way of love. Then what is and what is not the way of love? Because love is a, it's a broad and even sometimes confusing topic in our world. I mean, depending on what radio station you're listening to in our, our city, whether it's country, you know, top 40 or, or Christian, you get a different idea of what love is just in those three ways. Not to mention uh, what we see on advertisements and, and the questions that we, that we get all the time um, in our culture. Right here, though, Paul begins to spell out what the way of love looks like and where it starts. Look what he says. He says, just as Christ loves us. So who's our example of the way of love? Jesus. So he points to the divine son, Jesus Christ, and he says, he is our human picture of our heavenly father's way of love. And he says, think about how Christ loves you. And, and that's the way of love. And here's what it looks like. Next part of verse two. And gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Gave himself up, sacrifice. Gave himself up, sacrifice. That is the way of love. The way of love is really the way of sacrifice. So we're going to give up something to gain something else. We're going to give something up of value to gain something of greater value. Another way to say that is this. God's plan is to transform our appetites from self-indulgence. So we're going to give up just indulging ourselves all the time to self-giving and instead give ourselves away. Give things and, and emotions and, and very valuable parts of ourselves over to other people. That's how Christ loves us. He gave himself instead of indulged himself. He didn't come to earth 2,000 years ago and go, give me that, give me that. Oh, I want that from you, and I want that from you. No, he came and he said, look, I'm here to serve you. I'm here to serve you, and I'm here to give this to you. So that's the way of love. You know, give self, not indulge self, which brings us to the powerful human appetites that God wants us to shift from self-indulgence, which means that we are prone to this, to self-giving, which means I am going to give myself. I'm, I'm actually going to willfully sacrifice things. I'm going to put restraints on things so that I can give myself best to the world that God so loves and the people he puts in, our, in my path. So let's look at the first one. Here it is. This is, going to get, this is going to get a little steamy here, okay? But among you, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality, uh-oh, or of any kind of impurity, sexual immorality or any kind of impurity. Let's face it, 
God gave us a powerful sexual appetite. And yes, ladies, you too. All right, this isn't just a man thing. Okay? He gave us as human beings a powerful sexual appetite. He gave us that sexual appetite. So guess what? That we would want to have sex. Yeah. So that we would want to get married. So that we could have lifelong sex that produces emotional intimacy. That produces physical pleasure. Yes, it should be pleasurable. It should produce emotional intimacy. And of course, it produces children with our spouse. So we, we, we have that appetite for a reason. Now, I love what Rabbi Shmuley Botich writes in his book, Kosher Sex. Yes, there's a book called Kosher Sex. Uh, check it out. If you only read one book a year, read that one. This is what he says. He says, it, it is love that makes marriage and not sex, contrary to what we might think. So why do we need sex at all? So that's a very provocative question. Hey, wait a minute. So why do we need sex at all? Why not have only love? This is because love can be, uh, love can be sustained only by constant sexual interaction. Only sex has the power to call forth our deepest, most powerful emotions, he says. And then he shifts and he starts to critique our modern culture and how we miss this. So what does he say next? He says, and yet sex today is, is primarily about ignoring emotion. You know, the hookup culture that we now see uh, prevalent over the last two decades. It's about ignoring emotions. Sex is seen as merely a bodily function that needs to be serviced. Yeah, hey, I got I to gotta take care of this. So I'm just going to go hook up with some stranger or some, you know, some girl, on, on, you know, uh, on the college campus or, or, or whatever. It's just, it's just sort of, yeah, we got to take care of this. It's not about emotions. It's not, so he's critiquing our culture. He goes on. He says, sex for the purpose of pleasure only without any commitment. Sex and commitment are the ultimate forms, he says, of human closeness. And we cannot be close and distant at the same time. So what is he saying? He's saying, look, this is what we were created for. We were created to have this sexual drive so that we would get married, so that we would seek emotional closeness with, with our spouse. But our culture says, no, we, we're, we're going to completely get rid of emotion. We're going to completely get rid of commitment. And what is beginning to happen in our culture is the closeness and the emotion are, are, are divorced of our sexuality. And man, we could talk a long time about what that's doing in, in the human heart and, and in, into marriage relationships. But Paul, Paul points out this, that our sexual appetite can go off the rails. And, and when we indulge this appetite beyond marriage then we hurt more people than we realize. So let's break that down. And this may sound abrasive, but, but here it is. When we hook up or we shack up or we have affairs and we look at porn and, and strippers and, and so on, I know this is getting PG-13, but just stay with me. Then we are producing a shockwave of hurtful emotions and mistrust and insecurity. We're producing fatherless children in our generation, which also produces impoverished mothers. We have 
generations of kids that are growing up without dads and the moms that are raising them uh, don't have all the resources they need from two providing parents. It's producing, obviously, communicable diseases. I mean, you heard about that, you know, your health teacher, you know, you know in eighth grade, you know, came in and showed you all these things and said, this is why you shouldn't, <laughs> you know, because of all these diseases. And, and, and fear, of course, is not a motivator for people, but it is a reality. So that means that our private sexual sin doesn't just have private consequences. These sins are unloving acts on our spouse or our future spouse, on our children or future sp- or children, on our entire community, and, and then, of course, us personally. Think about it. If we hook up with a bunch of people in school or in college before we get married, and then, then we, we create landmines in our future marriage. You know, oh, you know, well, how many people did she sleep with? And, you know, do I compare with all the, the girls he's had? And how do I, how do I measure up? And, and all of this insecurity. Uh, when we have affairs with someone else's spouse, we don't just damage our family, we damage their family. You know, self-indulgent sex with a boyfriend or a girlfriend or a hookup, a one-night stand, not, not only does it produce sick and suppressed emotions in us and them, but it can also produce children. Yeah, that's, that's what happens. And these children become unresolved. Well, where's my dad? And, and what was that about, mom and dad? And I guess he's not really my dad. And, and on and on the cycle goes. And so that's why Paul just leans in and he says, look, the way of love is this. You, you've got to know that God has given you these appetites, but you just can't let these appetites go off the rail. Because, because things happen that are hurtful, not just to you privately, but to your whole community and generations. So he says, God's plan is to transform our appetites from self-indulgence to self-giving. It's part of growing up. So when it comes to our sexual appetite, we live in a way of love, of of the kingdom, of closeness to God. When we fulfill that that sexual appetite only in a lifelong marriage. Now, a, a lot of you are like, yeah, John, I get that. I understand that. But wait a minute. Some of you needed to hear that today because you think that a private indulgence is not hurting anyone. But it is slowly distancing you from God and his plan and the people that he wants you to love. And so Paul goes right after that first appetite. And he, and he just says, look, God wants to transform that. So he keeps going, though. He keeps going. And he points out the second appetite that God wants us to choose self-giving over self-indulgence. So here it is. So he says, you know, not any kind of impurity or of greed. Greed, there it is. There's that. It even sounds, that, that word just sounds, ugh. Paul, Paul points out that, that our appetite for more, and, and we do, we have this appetite for more than we need. It, it is, is about, it's about our indulgence. Uh, then, then what happens? That indulgence becomes greed. What is greed? It's simply this. Intense and selfish desire for something, especially wealth, power, and food. Yeah, even funnel cakes, right? (laughs) 
uh, right after I built my house, I, I met a guy in town and we were swapping house building stories. And during our conversation, he admitted that he had, he'd only lived in his current house that he built. I mean, it was a newly built house. He'd only lived there for a year and he was getting ready to start building again. And I mean, I was curious. I was like, really? Like, I, I thought, well, maybe he's a builder. Maybe he just kind of builds houses and flips them or something like that. I don't know. I mean, but he wasn't. He just says, you know, yeah, yeah, my, my, my wife is already tired of it. You know, she's seen a couple of her friends' houses now. And so she wants to, um, to build some, some features into this new one and, you know, some, some things, you know, here and there. And so we're, we're going to go ahead and sell this house and start building a new one with all these other things. You know, and you stop and you hear that story and it's like, man, that's all of us. I mean, it made me not a house, but it's like I got that new thing, that new phone, that new, that new pair of shoes, that new whatever. But it's, it's this never enough syndrome. And, and, and when greed overtakes our mind and our heart, this never enough syndrome, then we, then we start to compare and compete and covet against one another. And, and, and love cannot exist in that kind of environment. Greed fights against the way of love because we're, we're, all we can do is think about taking. All we can think about is getting instead of giving. And equally, we live chronically discontent. That's what greed does. It, it, it means that we're never satisfied with God's provision and blessing. You know, we say things like, yeah, but, all the time. For example... Yeah, I have this house, but it doesn't have a swimming pool. Yeah, I have this job, but his job makes more money than me. So, so we, we live in that it's never enough and that yeah, but mentality. Finally, greed makes us ungenerous and miserly, sort of that Scrooge mentality. Think about it. If we're already covetous and discontent, then how can we recognize and respond to other people's needs? We're not even thinking about other people's needs because we're thinking about what we don't have because we are ungrateful and we're entitled. Brentwood Church, this is not God's plan for our life. Why? And Paul, and Paul answers that. He just says, look, because these are improper. They're improper for God's holy people. What does that mean, improper? It means ill-fitting means they no longer fit for you. That, that may have been your old life and your, your old wardrobe. You just, everything, nothing was enough for you and you were never content and yeah, but, and but now, man, you're different. You know, God's plan is to transform our appetite from self-indulgence to self-giving. Now it's about giving. So, so when it comes to greed and wanting more, God wants to transform that to giving more, to serving more, to helping more. Wow. Now, let's keep going. We're going to get it to the next appetite in, in just a second, but I want to I tell a little story. Do you have people in your life who talk too much? I mean, you have these people? Or, or maybe you know people who just say unfiltered things. You're thinking of three people right now. You're like, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, okay. Uh, not long ago... Um, a lady prefaced a rude comment that she was going to make towards me by saying, I just tell it like it is. You have those people? I just tell it like it is. This was her way of justifying just being rude 
and hurtful. I tell it like it is. No, no, you don't. You're just rude and you're socially lazy. You know, well, why don't you think before you speak? But, but that's kind of, you know, that's kind of what people, you know, I grew up and I just tell it like it is. Anyway, Tammy and I have recently banned the phrase, no offense, but in our house, because our kids were bringing home that attitude from school. You know, as if the preface of no offense excuses our self-indulgent rudeness and harshness. No offense, but you're the stupidest person I know. You know, it's like, okay, I guess I shouldn't take offense to that. No offense, but I hate your giant nose. It's like, come on. Well, that's why Paul brings up the next human appetite. Our appetite to be heard, to be understood. Like, we want to say something, right? There's a song written about that. But this is what he warns. This is what he warns. Look what he says. He says, nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, dirty jokes, which are out of place. So, so he, what is he doing? He's saying, look, you got to walk in the way of love. And you got to think about your sexual appetite. And you, you got to get it into God's boundaries. Because you're going to blow up things if you don't. You're going to cause harm to you and, and, and a lot of people. You, you got you to get this greed thing. You got to get this contentment and gratitude thing lined up with the way of love. You, you need to be a giver more than you're a taker. And then he says this. He says, the way of love is about being wise and how you talk to people. About how you talk about people. How you talk for people. Paul says that our words matter. And, and look, look how he leads us to talk instead of hateful trolling and dirty jokes. Look, look, look what he says. He says, but rather thanksgiving. Like, what if you were just a person who just blessed people all the time with your words? That's, that's another way to say it, just blessing people. Y- yes, even, even when you have to say tough things to them, because we do, we have to say tough things to people, don't we? We, ha- we even have to be critical sometimes. You have to say, hey, I, I, what I'm going to say is, is, is it's critical, but I'm going to say it in a way that blesses you, because you're going to know that my intent is, is not to harm you. My, my intent is not to just be self-indulgent and just say something that I think is going to make me feel good, like putting you down. So, so Paul says, look, even in the way you talk is about the way of love. He says, that's God's example shown to you by Christ. That in the way that you, you, you handle your human appetites, your sexual appetite, your appetite for more, your appetite to be heard, like all of these things, God's plan is to transform our appetite from self-indulgence to self-giving. I'm going to give myself instead of indulge myself. So we have a natural appetite to communicate. Yes. To be heard. Yes. But it should be a blessing. It should be self-giving, life-giving, and not a curse, not self-indulgent. No offense, but I just tell it like it is. Well, stop. Stop offending people with your hurtful attitude. You know, stop telling it like it is. Why don't, why, don't you, why don't you tell it with wisdom 
and tell it with thanksgiving and tell it with a blessing. That's the way of love. And, that, and that's, how, that's how Paul brings it home. I, lo- I love how he just kind of makes it kind of simple. He says, look, be very careful. Be careful. Then how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise. Careful and wise. Careful and wise. That's what happens when we, when we follow the example of God that is shown to us by the divine son, Jesus Christ, and that is empowered to us by his Holy Spirit. Why? Why should we do this? Making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. So, so simple and yet so difficult, isn't it? Be careful and wise with our appetites. Because we're living in a crazy world and in some crazy times. That brings us to so the practicalities of all this. Let's, let's sort of break this down. When it comes to your sexual appetite, be careful and wise. Especially in the crazy world and the crazy times that we live in. I mean, you can't go anywhere now without sexuality you know, on full display everywhere. And some of you need to hear that today because you're not being careful and wise. You're not being careful and wise in what you, what you look at. You know, you're, you're being indulgent. Well, I'll just look at it. But then looking turns to, to other things. Today, I mean, you know. You know maybe that this is something that you have not been winning on. But today you can confess that. That's, that's, the, that's the power of the gospel is it meets us where we are and just says, look, let's go to a new place. Let's go to a deeper place in this. And it starts with just owning it and confessing it. You know what? I've let this appetite go off the rails in my life. You can turn from that today. And you can experience transformation. You can. And so when it comes to your words, be careful and wise. You know, some of you need to hear that today. Because you're, you're hurting a lot of people with gossip and harshness and rudeness. And the more that you justify it and the more that you, you know, I just tell it like it is. The more it hurts people. No offense, but it, it, that, that hurts people even more. Well, today you can confess that. And you, you can turn from that. And you can experience Transformation. When it comes to your desire for more, and wanting more, and, and being content, be careful and wise. Some of you need to hear that today because maybe you would be honest and just say, you know what, I am in a place where, where I'm greedy. I, I, I'm, just, I'm just never, it's never enough for me. I, I, never, I never just sit in the contentment and the blessings of, of my life right now. I'm always coveting somebody else's stuff. I'm always comparing myself to someone else. And maybe that's you today. And you're just, just honest about it. Well, today you can confess that. You can turn from that. And you can experience transformation. Why? Because that's God's plan for you. His plan is to transform our appetites. The appetites he's given us transform them from self-indulgence, which, which is what sin does in our life. It shifts our focus away from God's example to our own, our own indulgence, 
God wants to transform that to self-giving. You know, that my sexuality becomes about giving purity and giving wholeness to my spouse so that she, in my case, can be emotionally close to me. So that she can be pleased knowing that there's no ghosts in my head. You know, there's no, there's no residue in my heart. And that we can bring up children in a place of trust. Same thing with our, our desire for more, that we could go, you know, hey, do we, do we really need this? Is this just us wanting more, or is this really something that we can gain so that we can help other people? Hey, you know, do I need to say this? And if I do need to say this, do I need to say it this way? And, and what is my motivation in saying this to this person or saying it like this? Like, can you imagine what our church would look like if a bunch of people were self-giving? And when doing life and faith together in that way, man, we could bring renewal to our families and to our community. We could. And so as we, as we prepare to respond today, through music, song, through, through prayer and, and response. I want to invite you, you know, maybe, maybe you need to confess some things today. You can come to the confession cross and write some confessions down and say, you know, I'm going to leave it here. Maybe you need to intercede for some people and go to, to light a candle and just represent that, that standing in the gap for someone. Or maybe you just need to take communion today. You need to say, you know what? I've confessed some things. I'm, I'm turning from some stuff and I just need to go take the body and the blood of Christ until he returns just to, just to remember really what the gospel is all about and, and what I'm a part of. And if you're a Christian, I invite you to do that. If you today maybe are new to church or you're still curious about church or you're, you're, you're maybe even a little skeptical about Jesus, I hope that today what you witness and what you've heard helps you take a step closer to God. Because he loves you. And, and everything that you've heard here today is about his love for you. So today, be careful and wise. Be obedient to respond. Let's stand and let's pray. Father, we are so grateful for your truth and your word. Let it transform us. Thank you for your plan. That it gets so simple and so practical all the way down to how we, how we live our lives in our words, in our desires. I mean, God, you love us so much that you get that, that personal with us. Allow us, God, to be brave today in our response. It's in Jesus' name that I pray this. Amen.